right, everybody, welcome back to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson. Remember, um, in case you guys haven't followed me yet on Twitter, um, I know a lot of you have not. I'm Densonology at Twitter. That's my Twitter handle. Um, and if you have not listened to the show before, this show covers anything innovative, uh, people, places, things, ideas, marketing. Um, and today we have a really awesome guest, Amanda Slavin, a very troublesome name I've learned, but um, say hello. Hi. Hi. Why is your <laughs> name so troublesome? Uh, no one can spell it. Hmm. <laughs> I can spell Amanda. And everyone calls it calls me Slavin or Slavin, and no one knows what it is, so I've kind of just adopted all of them and said, you know what, whatever. Just, just depends on me. who you're talking to. Yeah. You're like, all right. Yes, whatever that's works. it. Whatever works. I've, trust me, I've botched some names on this show. Oh, I've just, uh, when I have to announce names, I do it like as a host sometimes. Yeah. And it's just really scary. And sometimes I get them and I get, you know, before I go on, they're like, this is how you say it. I'm like, okay, got it. And then I get on stage and I'm like, completely the opposite <laughs> name. The same, well, the same way with me with introductions. Like, I'm not like, oh, and, and in 1994, <laughs> you, you know, I'm bad at that stuff. So I always go. Give me the 101 mm. on Amanda Slavin. Smart. Slavin. <laughs> no, that wasn't even a That joke. was deliberate. You actually did that on purpose. <laughs> no, all right, all right. I, that was, this was skillfully <laughs> crafted humor. Okay, fine. Um, so some a 101 on me. Um, I usually, my thing is I ask people to give me a, a one-minute session on their lives. So it's usually talking really, really quickly. Nice. I will spare you the talking really, I wanna, really I want quickly. The, I want the one-minute I mean, Amanda Slavin my story. My voice is raspy because I talk way too much and way too fast. That's the <laughs> truth. Um, but I'll slow down so that everyone can understand me. Um, so I grew up in New Jersey, moved three times growing up. Um, and I think that shaped me a little bit just by the fact that when you move in high school, you kind of get confronted by a lot of different types of people and um, also a lot of different social situations. So it's not as easy as just staying in one place all the time. Uh, and so I had to kind of create this identity for myself where um, I knew who I was wherever I went. And I wasn't um, frustrated by the constraints that were put on me every single time I moved to a new town. Did you, was that a deliberate effort on your part to like conserve who you are or, you know, or did you just kind of learn it through losing yourself a little bit? My mom told me she found a letter. It was after the second town we moved um, from me to me. And uh, it said, like, um, no matter where I am, I know who I know. No matter where I go, I know who I am. And I won't change that. I think it came because I was really social. I was in the same town for, you know, 16 plus years um, and then ended up moving and then moving again. Right. And what ended up happening is that second town, um, I, I just, I had made some changes about myself when I first moved and I was like trying to be fitting in and trying to be cool. And then when I moved to the second town, everything I had done in that first town was opposite in the second town. So I was <laughs> right. just exhausted. I was like, if I keep changing myself for everyone else, I'm going to just never know who I really am. So I just had to say to myself, like, I don't really care anymore. I'm going to be who I feel comfortable with and right. who I know I am. And and that's it. No matter where I go or whatever I do, um, I'm, I'm very clear about who I am and my intentions. That's pretty astute for a teenager. Oh, like I mean... If you read my journal when I was like, I mean, when I was, I started writing in my diary when I was like seven, like the most poetic, insane things. Like, I think I thought I was like, you know, uh, Emily Dickinson or something <laughs> like the most like dramatic, crazy, emotional things because, but the thing is, is, you know, I was a big reader. I was an avid reader right. and, you know, it was all about these stories and I was reading like The Giver and, mm -hmm. you know, Memoirs of a Geisha and like these like powerful, intense stories of these protagonists that go through these crazy 
crazy experiences and express themselves so fully about right. what they're dealing with. And so from reading so much, I think I kind of brought it onto myself as a writer of like looking at my life as this story right. and being able to share it in my diary. Did you feel like you identified with some of those characters? Because, you know, we've talked to a few guests in like pop culture, right? The, like the old Spice guy, Isaiah Mustafa was on and he's a huge comic book nerd. And not only is he a comic, comic book nerd, Spider-Man is his thing. Mm. And he was like, I went through this awkward phase when I was 14, 15, 16. And he was like, he felt awkward. And he's like, everybody else thought I was cool-ish. But he said Spider-Man was the thing. He, he like he, When he was on the basketball court, he swore he was Spider-Man. That's so like, awesome. It's like this kind of escapism <laughs> to become the characters you've ab- absorbed. Totally. Um I when I when I moved within that same year, that's when I really like kind of dove into reading, and I read a lot of um, these stories about strong female protagonists who were experiencing like transition. So Memoirs of a Geisha was like a massive book for me. I definitely don't associate myself with a Geisha, um, but Anchi Min was another, and then White Oleander. Anchi Min was about an empress in China, um, and then White Oleander was about an orphan that had moved from. Home to home to home. Right. Michelle Pfeiffer actually started movie. in the movie. Yeah, um, tearjerker. It was a tearjerker, and the book is insane. And then um, the other one, which was a male protagonist, was Perks of a Wallflower. This was before it was a movie. It was like 10, 15 years ago. Right. Um, and so it was all these characters that I think I saw as dealing with struggles. And and my struggles, you know, fairly normal, moving. You know, a lot of people have done that. But I think what it was for me was I could see that so many other people were dealing with so many more things in their lives and being able to um, get past them and find the be- their best selves through those experiences. Right. So it kind of made me feel a little bit less bad about myself in the yeah. same where I was like, I'm much smaller in this gra- in the grand scheme of things than I think. Yeah, it's like one of my uh, favorite quotes is, um, uh, sometimes God puts you through something just so you can tell someone else how you got through it. I so, love that. So it's that exact thing, which kind of segues into where you are now, right? It's uh, talk about Catalyst Creative. Um, I know you describe it as a community design firm, yep. right? Um, what is your role there? You're Got the, it. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, and then, um, yeah, and just kind of like define what community design is because it's not a common way a company might des- describe itself. Sure. Um, so I have a background um, after moving, went to school, the whole thing, um, and I got my master's in education uh, in curriculum and instruction. And a part of my thesis was um, to take kids outside of the classroom into their community and measure their impact, um, the impact on engagement and achievement. So what that looks like is a typical first grader is is usually bored sitting in a seat all day. So what does it look like when you take that student, bring them outside, allow for them to kind of use their surroundings, and then measure how engaged they are within the lesson? Um, Um, And then I was in hospitality for five years in New York City in marketing and events. Um, And when I started Catalyst, I created, I kind of combined the two. And I I thought to myself, what would it look like if I used my understanding of engagement, used my understanding of building a curriculum and instruction for people to be engaged around a topic, but also my understanding of events and hospitality, marketing, et cetera, um, to allow for brands, foundations, or revitalization projects um, to engage people around their mission and their vision. Right. Um, and then using those that understanding of engagement to do so. So my role, it's funny that you asked it in that way, but um, I'm the CEO and founder. And the reason why it's funny is because we have something called Holacracy, which is a larger conversation, but it's a it's what Zappos is using in Downtown Project. And Holacracy? Hel- Holacracy. Oh, it's, I was like, it's spelled hell, like, like hell. It's spelled, well, the no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's Holacracy in here. It's spelled like, hol- like Ola, 
Okay. Chrissy. Yeah. Nice. Like holacracy. Yeah. Um, and what it does is it actually takes the accountabilities and responsibilities of employees and it makes it in a circular model. So it's not a hierarchy, but more so every single person has a specific role and accountability. So while I might be the CEO and founder, I have a role in new business development or right. a role in CC internal lead link, you know, which is like, uh, uh, spearheading the facilitation of holacracy. So it's all different things within Catalyst that right. I fill, but I am the CEO. So founder. it's a, like ho- an, a holistic operation system. Exactly. Look at oh, me. That was perfectly said. I've actually never, <laughs> some for some reason, I've never had it described at me like described to me as that and it's perfectly described. Yeah, it's, but it's interesting. Like, yeah, it's like almost do, it's like circuit training for a business, right? You go, exactly. That's awesome. And then it doesn't put all of the, a lot of CEOs feel exhausted after starting a company because right. it, it feels like sometimes it's falling all on you. But in Holacracy, it allows for people, it's, there's a, there's like a governance process and people can share what's uh, tension for them and then propose a solution. So it's a really interesting thing that we've integrated. Well, along those lines too, you know, um, a lot of times, especially when you start something, right, and you start to build a team, you're still the face of the thing, mm-hmm. right, and building a system that is kind of self-sustaining and where you're, it's like being the, the promoter at the club, right? Like, I've got five other people you can probably talk to to get in here if you want, but, like, everyone keeps coming to you. Did, did you find, I, I can imagine at some point, there's a breaking point, right, where that's a gift and then it becomes a curse. Um, have you experienced that? And if so, like, what did you do about it? Yeah, that's so, I mean, you're like hitting every nail on the head. I, so I started as a promoter when I was, when I was, (laughs) when I was, so I was a camp counselor getting my master's You would think I did some research. Yeah, no, no, you wouldn't have found that anywhere. (laughs) I made sure to keep that very hidden. Um, but so when I was, I was a camp counselor, I was getting my master's in education. Um, but on the weekends I was in New Jersey, my dad would drive me to the train station. I'd I'd plan parties in New York City as a promoter, and then um, I would come back, you know, to New Jersey to sleep at my parents' house. Like I was 21 years old right. and throwing these parties. That's actually what brought me into the industry of events and marketing. But um, that is how I started my career, which was that everyone came to me kind of for a network or a connection or an event, um, and I just kind of kept scaling that out until I realized when I started Catalyst that I didn't want that. I didn't want it to be about me and about my network. Um, and that's where I think you know Catalyst Week and Creative Week which is an event that we do monthly um, with the Downtown Project, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, But we do these events monthly where we bring people together and allow for them to build their relationships and allow for serendipity to take place. So rather than it constantly being, hey, Amanda, can you introduce me to this person? Or, hey, Amanda, what event should I go to next week? We plug people into this system that allows for them to have this sustainable way of building relationships on their own behalf. Um, And we are just the facilitators. You guys just get in there and talk amongst yourselves. Exactly. Exactly. That's my, that's my favorite line. hundred um, percent. So yeah, I guess we, since you touched on the segue, like let's, let's go there for a second with, you know, the catalyst weeks and the creative weeks and for the audience who may not know what those are, um, kind of tell us, tell us a little, give us the one-on-one on that as well and, and how they came to be. Sure. So I met Tony Shea, who's the CEO of Zappos at a conference, um, two and a half years ago. And he actually loves when I tell this story because he finds it really funny. I find it really embarrassing, but, um, we were just, you know, he meets so many people and he invited me to come to Vegas and this is, um, old Vegas. So two and a half years ago, that old trick. Yeah. That old trick. It was me. Hey, and girl, a bu- it, was, Vegas. It, was me, it was me and a bunch of people. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was more so Tony is just an inviting, friendly person that wanted to share what he was building in Vegas. Um, at the time, it was in the beginning of him creating this revitalization of downtown. And there was there was a lot, you know, there was things that were going on before Tony, but it, it wasn't the safest area uh, when I visited two and a half years ago. I've been there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and like I back left. in the day, yes. Yeah, I made it out. Um, exactly. So when I went there and I went to visit, um, I saw Tony and he actually didn't remember inviting me out. I think I told you that story. Yes, yeah. that's funny. And um, it was really awkward for me. But what happened was I kind of pushed through it and we ended up sitting down for lunch um, at this place called The Beat. It's an awesome place in downtown yep. Vegas. And we were just chatting. And he's like, well, what do you want to do like with your life? Like, what? who are you? What do you want to do? Um, and I really wanted to, again, at the time, c- combine education and events. And I wanted to create accessible opportunities for learning that were not a high price point like some of these conferences right. and allowed for everyone to be a part of the conversation. And so he said, just do it here. Um, and I kind of looked around and I was like, oh, where? <laughs> like a, kind of sketchy. <laughs> like, you mean here? Like, where? <laughs> um, and I, I literally, I went back to New York six months later. I reached out to him like, what does this look like? And we came up with this concept where, um, you know, Tony has this massive network of people that he's constantly telling them about what he's doing, which is a $350 million revitalization of downtown Las Vegas. Uh, personal investment that he made. Uh, and the $350 million fund is separated into uh, real estate state, small business, tech, um, and then arts, music, and culture. And so he's building uh, a city, starting with the Zappos campus, moving it to downtown, and then spanning out to 15 blocks or more of of land and uh, acquisitions and um, entrepreneurship ventures. And so what Tony and I decided to do was, let's see what it would look like if we invited all of these people that we knew and loved that were doing wonderful things in the world to come to Vegas, um, have these experiences where they get to meet other like-minded people. So that's Catalyst Week and Creative Week, 30 people per week, house them for free as a part of downtown and, and to see what's going on there. Um, and then there's an element of learning to it, which is, you know, there's a speaker series, mentorships, workshops, which are all free and accessible to right. anyone that lives in Las Vegas. Uh, it sounds like a pretty huge undertaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot, right? It's a, it you know, a it's lot, a lot of yeah. components, a, lo- a lot of moving pieces. It's it's regularly refreshing, right? Like every other week there's something new. Mm-hmm. Um and so you're constantly cycling through various invitees, various components of programming. How, like how do you manage all that? Cuz a lot of times when people start a business, right? And I imagine you started it a little bit before you started taking on uh the downtown project. One week. It? Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it's all been on week cycles. Yeah. Um, so how, like, how do you? Yeah, most people start with the one thing, right? Like, we're gonna make this widget, and we're gonna make the best widget ever. Now we're gonna make, you know, another kind of widget. But you're like, I'm gonna make all the widgets at the same time. Um, how, yeah. What is that process like? And like, do you have a big team, or was it just you? Yeah. So it started. Um, it started with me just kind of thinking about these these weeks, this concept. Um, and the first week was November 2012, and 40 people came out, including um, Michael Uslan, who's the executive mm. producer of Batman, who yep. your friend would like if he's a big comic fan. Yes. Um, and, you know, it was this a wonderful group of people. And what I saw happen from that was it was like an explosion, like social media, like sharing. These people were obsessed with what was going on there. And so I got this massive influx of people, speaking of like me being the only one. Right. And I had to, you know, have this conversation with Tony and be like, this is bigger than 
you know, I think. Like we need to kind of reevaluate like how much we're putting into this from a team perspective and resources. So what happened was um, I, I fairly bootstrapped the company to bring on other people through right. other clients. Um, and, and now currently we're actually um, 10 employees in five different cities around the country. So not only do we curate and bring awesome, wonderful people to Vegas by being in all these cities, but we also do similar events, educational, inspirational events for brands and foundations all over the country. Right. As a uh, as a budding, well, I guess you were entre- entrepreneurial before as a promoter and the, the other things you were doing. But what did you? What's one or maybe two, whatever you feel, are like two key things you took from Tony, right? And working so closely with him because a lot of people don't have that, you know, that kind of relationship going into business for themselves. Yeah, um, I couldn't even be more grateful to meet a human being like that. I think that. Um, and, you know, Downtown Project invests in a lot of companies. They've created almost 900 jobs in uh, two and a half years. Wow. But I think what's what's interesting is because Tony plays a role in curation um, from a monthly basis, I do get to I talk to him fairly often. Um, and I think what I've learned from him is being humble. Um, he's one of the most humble people on the planet. So, like... And I guess I got that when I was 16. Like, it's not about me. It's kind of much bigger. But everything that Catalyst does, it has to be like we're bigger than ourselves. It's not about one person. It's about being able to build a community of individuals that will take it to the next level. And Tony's one of the most humble people I've ever met in my entire life. So regardless of like if you ever met him, um, you would just feel this this, – kind of personality that allows for you to be your biggest self because he's he's fairly introverted, which I have not learned from him because I'm not introverted at all. <laughs> right. um, but the way that he operates is he just lets people be who they are um, and gives them the space to do so and then believes in them and supports them in that process. Can people learn that though? Like is that, you know, to be sort of, like, it's like you, you, you described it as an energy. Can you teach energy or is it like, is, or is it partially behavioral? Um, I would say I think his introversion is absolutely behavioral, but like holacracy, for example, um, is almost a product of like the way that Tony is as a CEO and a leader. Uh, I asked him the books to read and he told me good to great and tribal leadership, which he recommends in all of his, um, conferences that he goes to and right. his talks. But with, you know, with good to great, it talks about a character. It's a lot of reading in this interview. It I, is I, a lot you know. of reading. I read a lot, but I also watch a lot of TV, <laughs> so we can talk about that too. Um, but, uh, you know, I read good to great, which is about charismatic leadership. And I think with Tony, the way that he is, is he's kind of this um, leader that allows for people within the organization to step up and uh, go after things that they believe in, and also then again supports them in doing so, as I said before. But within an organization as a CEO, I think it's really important to not have a dictatorship, where it's like, this is what I think, and this is what it is. It's more so like, no, tell me what you think will work, and then we'll we'll work to make that happen. And that's what I I have learned from him, like step back a little bit, and let people be who they're supposed to be, and be their biggest selves. Now, with your with yourself as a leader, right, and and you're in high pressure production, right, mm-hmm. all the time. Um, how do you like? How, what are your mechanisms for just personal and internal balance? Because I can imagine that can be like a nightmare, like week after week after week, 30, 40 people, and trying to bring in new eyeballs, and you know, and then people want to follow up with you from the previous ones, yeah. and it's just like. You're getting it from both sides. How do you like maintain sanity? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, again, like the team that I have in place is so wonderful, and we've cr- 
created systems and structures to allow for when people are following up um, to be positioned in a way where it's the right person that they're following up with. So it's not just on me. So that's the first step towards sanity. Um, I'm obsessed with SoulCycle. I don't know if you've not tried it, try it. <laughs> I, knew, I, knew, I knew it was something aggressive. Kind oh, of. yeah. I mean, it has, there has to be. But SoulCycle t- is like my favorite thing ever. Um, they actually just gave us a few bikes for Vegas to be able to give people free free rides, nice. um, which is awesome. But that to me is like my solace. It allows for me to feel good because I wasn't working out in my like last job in New York. I was mm-hmm. just kind of just working. And I realized that that's not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to work on yourself harder than your business. So whether that's, you know, reading, um, meditation, I try to meditate. I'm only, I mostly meditate on planes. Um, and then you've so, got the gift of gab and I'm sure it's kind of hard to turn off to it's, meditate. Yes. But it's so, what's interesting is, is when I actually get there, I'm so outward that I'm almost like the same amount outward as I am inward. So mm-hmm. I go so deep within myself. Like I was journaling when I was seven. Right. Um, I'm very introspective, which is kind of like one of my positive traits and one of my negative traits because it makes me crazy sometimes. But um, meditation allows for me to kind of go inward and be like, what's coming up for me? And then Soul Cycle does the same thing because it's not just exercise, but it allows for you to kind of think differently as you're working out. Right. Uh, community design. Right. Uh, Again, a phrase you don't hear often. And I think when people think about communities, they think about cities or subgroups of cities. Mm -hmm. Um, What's the Amanda Slavrimernian definition (laughs) of uh, community? Yeah. Um, So I think it varies per client. And that's why um, there's the design component. So we allow for foundations, brands, it's really, we, we kind of term these specific clients, but it's, it's really anyone that has an impactful message and wants to engage a group of individuals around that message, um, and also engage them to do something about it. So for me in the beginning, it was a classroom, like a community of learners is a classroom of first graders. Um, and then when I was in the restaurant industry, it was the community of people that we had to engage around the properties we were opening. And then within downtown Vegas, it's a lot of different communities. So it's the community of people that we've created through catalyst and creative weeks, you know, a thousand plus people that have come through these experiences that now are a part of a community of catalyst and creative. Um, and then there's the community of individuals that have moved to Vegas. Uh, and if it's a client, we work with you know some foundations we work with the Schusterman Foundation and we did an event with them at South by and there was a specific demographic and community of you know change makers and do-gooders that they wanted to be able to engage around their experience so it's a target demographic of people that you can engage around a cause Uh, but I think what we do and what our entire intention is is okay cool let's like have them come to an event but even more so let's have them leaving feeling more inspired than when they got there and engage to do something about whatever that cause or messages. That's great. Um, and then a big piece of that is obviously the engagement, right? Like, is it working? Um, you mentioned measuring engagement of first graders, and then now you've got like grown ass people. <laughs> um, how, do, how do you measure engagement? Like, yeah. what, what are the tools by which you go, okay, they're paying attention, check mark? Like, what, or is, is it more sophisticated than what uh, I just said? Oh, well, um, <laughs> it's funny because with the first graders, it really was like, are they paying attention, check mark? It was like assessment of their time. That's really what it was, as well as like interviews and all that good stuff. No but- research. That's, it's pretty I'm crazy. Good. It's pretty weird. Um, but I think you're lying, actually. I think you have research now. Yeah, but. <laughs> but Life is research. Exactly. But whatever that means. But <laughs> Tweet it. But with um, the adults, what we, are tra- what we are finding is it's extremely difficult to be able to track 
and this is, I think, a problem in a, the events industry in general, is how do you track success? What are the metrics for like a good event? So what we're doing within Vegas is we're trying to track engagement. We call it ripple of impact, ROI. So we follow up with people, we survey them, we um, follow everyone on Instagram, social media, we ask people to send us their ROI moments, um, and we create metrics around that. So, you know, we recently had someone send us an email, um, and they said this was a great ROI moment. Again, it's the ripple of impact. Um, we had someone, my one of my roommates from the week invested in my company, um, and that was an awesome ROI experience. We just had another podcast. Perhaps one of the best ROI That was a great one, yeah. <laughs> we had someone, another podcast, do an interview of another woman that he met that week um, during Catalyst Week. We've had uh, we had one campaign, which is my favorite ROI moment, but it was right after a week. It was Valentine's Day, and we had uh, Ruby Rosa, the guys from Ruby Rosa in New York. It's an awesome restaurant there. As well as this woman, Arlene, who has a nonprofit organization, join forces and do a campaign for Valentine's Day uh, where they gave proceeds from their from their meals to her organization. This was in like a week after. Yeah. And then NBC covered it, and they sent the video over. Weirdly, which is nothing to do with the ROI, but the girl who actually did the segment is a friend of mine from years ago, oh, wow. which was even weirder how small the world is. But it, it's these moments that we track um, and we're actually going to be going more digital. So we're working on a digital app that will start to measure um, the connections and the data based on when you come to visit and when you leave for metrics. Yep. And then we're also doing an ROI blog series where we're hoping to engage more people from these weeks and reach out to them and say, tell us your ROI moments so that we can constantly be sharing them digitally um, to be able to create some some tangible physical metrics that right. people can understand. I'll give you one now. Yeah, give it to me. Uh, when I attended yeah. Catalyst Week uh, or Creative Week, yes, Creative Week, um, I got booked to speak to a record label uh, next Friday. There you go. Yeah, huh? it I, works. But I bet you everyone, like every single attendee has something. Yeah. And it's so difficult because this is one, like one moment from you, which I bet is like, will be multiplied over the next few months. Yeah. But you don't see it until after the event. And that's why we call it the ROI. Like what is the ripple effect of being, of being a part of this community? Of and people? literally when you think of a ripple, like dropping that, you know, pebble in the pond and it goes on far beyond like year from now, two years from now, because actually the, the guy that booked me for the thing, we had met years ago, but hadn't connected exactly. since then. And we, like part, like two days while we were there, we're like, where do we know each other from? And it'd be like almost to the point of annoyance. But it was, again, it was kind of like these serendipitous moments. Yep. Of, and also, I think that the fact that it, the spirit of what you guys do is that you have to come open, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't give you, you know, we don't give you a set agenda and like be here at this time, be here at this time. Like, you know, you don't get that two weeks ahead of time. Mm -hmm. You don't even get it when you're there. Mm -hmm. And part of you has to just be open to let the experience be what it is. Um, and is that is that by design or is that just kind of laziness? No, no, it is by design. <laughs> so we have certain things, you know, with those schedules, and you saw this. Like, there's certain things that are required. So, right. like the speaker series, the like the downtown project info session, the Zappos tour. Um, there's things that we think are really crucial for you to get the right experience from being there. But we want you to feel like you're a resident of downtown for those few days. So we do it during the week for that reason. It's not a bunch of tourists that are coming in from the weekend. Right. It's people that are working there who have built their company 
companies there uh, who have lived there for for 30, 40 years. Uh, and you're a part of that experience for these three days. And so the serendipity of it, you know, is, is Downtown Project's mission is really around co-learning, connectedness, and um, collisions. And so with that, it's these collisionable opportunities for you to meet someone that you might have already known before right. or go to a local coffee shop and connect with someone that is in Vegas and be able to start chatting with them about their company and hopefully create an opportunity for an ROI for them, a ripple of impact for them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that space that allows for people to uh, have that serendipity. But we also have found, you know, we always evolve every month that people also want opportunities for programming. So what we've been starting to do is optional programming. So saying like you could be at these places at this right. time if you want, or you can just go explore and get to see what's going on in Vegas. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I think the fact that, yes, and it's very uncomfortable. Like, even for this show, sometimes, like, some people want the questions way ahead of time, and a lot of times I don't know. Like, I, you know, I, I have some some ideas of what will, you know, of where we may go with the conversation. But at the same time, like, I want you to be open. And even when I do, I may not give you every question that I thought of. Totally. Right? Um, and I may not have thought of every question. You could throw a curveball at me. Uh, exactly. No, I will. So tell me about your mother. <laughs> She's, um, the best. <laughs> she's awesome. <laughs> she is. Has she been to one of your events? No, but she. I'm th- uh, three generations of New York on both sides, and I'm the only West Coaster. My mom's an extremely hard worker. My whole family is, yeah. but she's the best. And my parents are. They've supported me through getting my master's and then going into nightlife and events and then go. I mean, they've right. supported me no matter how many different turns. Like, okay, yeah. that's what you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't know what you're doing, but uh, it trust seems me, cool. I've been there. I've had so yeah. many iterations of my career. Um, my mom was like, "Wait, what are you doing?" Yeah, now? my grandma has no idea. She's like, "How's the town?" I'm like, "Do you mean the city that <laughs> right. we're or the movie? To, yeah, or the movie? She has, she's <laughs> like she's 90. Anything. She's 90 in the Bronx. She just asks questions and she's. Well, I think you know, even like as a parent, I think you always want to be able to go like, "Oh, my son or daughter is." Doing doing this like you're on the phone talking totally, to your friends totally. and like when it's always changing or something like you don't quite approve of yeah. fully you're like ah she's throwing parties exactly <laughs> they probably still say that they they don't know but they they support me and they and they provide everything that i needed in order to get to where i am uh you said you have team members in other cities what are, what are they doing there in those cities um and you know is that part of the whole expansion of, of what you guys are doing and and How does that work? Yeah. So a big part of our culture within Catalyst is um, that it's it's kind of like this this life work integration where you can live where you want and to add value to the company. So we have we hired. Hold on. I have my resume in my back. Okay, great. So we hired employees, um, you know, who wanted to live in New York and they live in New York and we hire people that want to be in Vegas and live in Vegas. But those people also, you know, co-work from California or Seattle like they they travel um, and we have a colleague that was in Chicago and is now in Atlanta. And it's interesting because, you know, not only do these individuals offer different types of people to bring to Vegas every single month because they act as curators, but then we can form relationships and clients based on those cities. Um, And so we've ended up doing events in New York City and having some clients now in Atlanta. Um, And it's it's really based on these people and the lives that they've created for themselves and and really respecting those lives. But it definitely, you know, in terms of where we go, where we're going and um, the vision that we have, I think uh, other cities and doing whether it's like a cross country tour or um, engaging some of the people that have come to visit Catalyst that live in other cities and how right. do we engage them is definitely um, on the horizons. It's it's not the reason that people are living in those cities. It's their choice, uh, right. and we just respect that choice. I'm from Detroit, so I, I'm, I'm obsessed rooting, with Detroit. I'm rooting for 
your next move I've been I've been working like if we want to talk about Detroit like Detroit to me is like I love Detroit the character there I actually did like an impromptu random not a catalyst week but I was just like what would it look like if I brought 20 friends to Detroit and created a program for them for three days like totally for fun this is what I do for fun in my spare time so I just you know got 20 people together I was like let's go to Detroit and did a whole entire three day trip for them they didn't know each other they'd never been to Detroit and it was awesome Um, and I think what's happening in Detroit and a lot of other cities it's not just Vegas Um, Vegas just happens to be this really cool opportunity to see it in a way that's facilitated Facilitated and sure. then take it back to other cities and kind of yeah, you build it's a blueprint exactly. It, it's the blueprint and obviously like you'll replace certain components, but the the soul of it is still still the same exactly. Uh, but if you go to Detroit now, you'll need a boat. Just so you know. Oh, I heard. It's uh, that's awful. It's crazy, right? It could be like the new Venice. It could be the new Venice gondolas. <laughs> gondolas in Detroit. <laughs> Ford. I mean, you heard they, it they first so, here. They need something new to work on. So <laughs> whatever. Yes, the new Ford gondola. <laughs> Perfect. Um, what are some misconceptions about what Catalyst Creative is? Uh, I think a lot of people think we're downtown, pro- like, or we are downtown project, or that like we are the deciding factor for some investments, and um, that becomes, you know, there's there's this fine line. We were one of the first investments from Downtown Project. We're a partner. We support Downtown Project, you know, to the end and back, but we we aren't the Downtown Project. The Downtown Project is a three hundred fifty million dollar personal mm-hmm. investment from Tony Shea and a lot of people under the Downtown Project team that have created what's happening there. Uh, and so that has been a misconception that I've found. Um, How do you overcome that? Like, what, what does it happen in your marketing and branding message? Does it happen in like the opening statement for the week um, or, or online? Like, mm-hmm. what, how do you how do you overcome the the misconception? Well, we have changed the opening to give more clarity around who we are, what Downtown Project is. Um, you know, we found it's just really good to set that foundation in the beginning personally, like person to person. Um, we do say it in every email that we send out. Like we say like, this is Catalyst Creative. This is the relationship with Downtown Project. Um, we have it online where we say our, rela- like it's literally a section of our website that's like our relationship with DTP. And it's like <laughs> Catalyst Week Creative Week in DTP. But people are going to think what they want to think. Like we we could shove information down people's throats and they're right. still like, so you're, so you're like so the you don't want to invest in my Yeah, company? and I'm like, I, okay, <laughs> whatever. But you know what? That's, that's the whole other reason for why we do these these experiences of like come to a Catalyst or Creative Week and learn about what's going on downtown because when you come to visit you realize how many moving pieces it is and it's not just like an investment firm like Downtown Project isn't a VC company and Catalyst Creative isn't an event company but because there's never been really a Downtown Project before and there's not really been a community design firm before it sometimes takes getting to know us and working with us or at least seeing something that we've put on to understand the difference. Well I think that's also the the gift and the curse of doing something new and being truly inventive or truly innovative, right? Like, you know, I run innovation for a, a fairly large marketing agency and it's the same thing. Like, you're trying to explain these ideas and concepts that really haven't been done before so people want to gravitate towards the one thing that they identify with. They're like, oh, so it's investment. And you're like, it is that, but also there's, you know, we do this. Um, and you're setting a new model and, like, you do have to give people you know, the tour mm-hmm. of what everything is, of what each component is, and then show them how they, they work together. Exactly. Um, There's a great quote, um, and I forgot who said it. It was like a it was big, me. It was you. It was a massive marketing uh, older man, but the quote is, um, 
uh, an, uh, an agency or a marketing brand uh, always asks an agency, show me something innovative that's never been done before. And then the next sentence out of their mouth is, and now show me five places that it's worked. Right. <laughs> yeah. so, so you're like, wait, you want something innovative out of the box that's never been done before, but you want us to show you five yeah, examples. Has anybody of else other- done this before? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what did you just say? Exactly. So that's what we kind of deal with a lot of like, so explain what you do. And we're like, well, this is what we do. And they're like, wow, that's really interesting. So can you do this? And we're like, oh, that's not really. Yeah, we could. Yeah, but <laughs> that's not what we are really, you know, vying towards. So that is, it's a, it's a big struggle, but I think it's worth it because it's the integrity of the company right. that we are different and we are unique. And that's the background of the education component that not many other yeah. event firms have. And how, like, how do you approach that conversation? And this has come up a few times um, just in terms of, hey, I'm going to give you the big, new, unique thing, uh, and I need you to come along for the ride with me and trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you develop that that piece of it? Yeah, I think, so it started with just people that I knew. Like, again, those first 40 people, I sent an email out, and I was like, hey, guys, uh, we're doing this thing in Vegas. There's nothing really there yet. Um, just come. And at that time, it was seven days. So just imagine like 40 really busy people being asked right. to come to downtown Vegas for seven days. And I was like, it's seven days. So they took off work. They figured out everyone just said yes because it was relationships I worked really hard on. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of the business that we partake in is word of mouth. So while it started with people we knew, now it's people that those people know that are, you know, and you've sent a bunch of people to us because you trust what we've built. Right. And now those people trust what, y- what your word is. Um, so that's a big part of it. Uh, And then I think the other part of it is my background in education is, is pretty rooted. It's not like I had a random stunt in, you know, working in the impact space for five days. And I was like, man, I'm not in the mood. Like when you go get your master's in something, when I've, I've been with working with children for like nine years and I was a first grade teacher and I was in a middle school classroom. I think that that foundation um, is really the reason why I started what I started. And every aspect of what we do has this educational component that engages more people around a cause. Uh, And that makes it a little, bit less fluffy it's not so much like oh you guys are like a bunch of young kids like doing some random things Um, and it also doesn't hurt that we have a massive partnership with something that maybe hasn't been done before but it is is really garnering a lot of attention Um, and I have to say one more quote because Tony says this often in his speeches and I think it makes sense for what we're doing too which is you know during the year of the four minute mile like no one had ever run the four minute mile and then one guy did and after that one guy ran the four minute mile so many more people started running it. was it. like in the thousands. Yeah, in, the, in, the thousands. in that year. Like it was, I, I read that the same story. I tell that story all the time. Exactly. It's like one of my favorite yeah. things. Yeah. And it's, and that's the thing is like, yes, you know, Tony says he, he's doing it in Vegas because if you could do it in Vegas, you could do it anywhere. And it's kind of like us too. Like I've started seeing a lot of people use the word experiences instead of events. And like I've heard catalyst so many times in sentences. And I'm like, I've never heard that word when I started this company. And even the word community is ubiquitous now. When we, when it was two years ago, like community wasn't like the hot word. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's it's we're a part of a larger conversation of of people really not being afraid to go after what they think can make a difference. And it is hard, but it's worth it. I mean, yeah. why not? Uh, what do you want people to walk away with after an encounter with Amanda Slavin? With Amanda Slavin, not Catalyst. Um, so I think that my favorite en- encounters are when I can get people to really just feel comfortable with sharing who they are. Um, So not any really like preconceived, like this is why we're here, this is the agenda, we're having a business meeting. But my favorite experiences in meetings are when you leave a meeting, it's like two hours, three hours long, um, usually ends up in like tears or something, you know, some type of emotion. 
but or hatred or hatred. Yeah, no, no, that's not my meeting. No, but (laughs) but (laughs) allowing for people um, after, you know, having a a real sit down with me to leave and be like, wow, she really gave me the space to feel and to share who I was. um, And I didn't feel judged in any capacity from her. And I think that's again, that's something that I, I did learn from Tony. But providing that opportunity to people to just be who they are is so rare, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and I think that's my favorite, my favorite aspect of being able to meet with with people individually. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the show is called Innovation Crush. As I hope you are aware. Yes, I am. Uh, <laughs> um, I did my research. Oh, see, you have a research team of one <laughs> yeah, as well. There you go. So, uh, what's something out in the world that you see, either in your own industry or your own day to day, or just broadly in the world that you are kind of crushing on that you feel is like this is really cool? Not right Soul now. Cycle though. Can't not, about Soul you Cycle. already talked about okay, Soul. Cool. You, yeah, about use that one already. Okay. I thought you were going to say Soul Train, which I was going to like. I love Soul Train. Soul Train's pretty awesome. Yeah, we could do a Soul Cycle Train. There you there, go. And it's I'm like not, a, long, a long tandem yeah, bike. And I won't talk about Detroit. God bless you. <laughs> um, so I think that there's a few different things that I'm like crushing on right now, I guess, from a company perspective. Um, there's a lot of startups that I'm engaged with. I'm just trying to figure Oh, I'll talk about a startup that just came out yesterday that my best friend is a Ooh. part of. Um, Spring. I'm a pinup. So my best friend, one of my best friends, I have a lot of best friends, as people usually say, because I have a massive network of Can friends. Can I be one? Sure. But she's one of, you know, she's someone that I look up to and is an extremely close friend of mine. Her name is Ara Katz. And she's the co-founder of, of a company called Spring. Um, and what it is, is it's changing the way we look at shopping. It's like literally like Instagram, but you could buy clothes right then and there or shoes or products, whatever it might be. Um, and then the other thing that I'm crushing on is another, I have a great group of, of women friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually I, I know that Elle, who's our PR company, works Hi, with Elle. this organization too, um, oh, wait, who, I, who I introduced them to. Okay. So there's an ROI, <laughs> like, there's an ROI waving. moment. Um, but I am that girl is something and I'm on the advisory board and it's another one of my best friends and it's an organization that is using, uh, media as well as, um, hubs all over the world to be able to reinstill self-esteem within women. Um, and I think it's just an amazing organization and they have a new campaign around words. So it's about taking a word, kind of deconstructing it and then using it within conversation with your friends to kind of bring it up around what does it bring up for you? Like um, no, not well. Holacracy is a word, but no. uh, and it's an. I mean, the, those. Like, two give me women, an example, though. Like, what? So they'll have a campaign around uh, one woman. I think it was the word like crazy, and she had like crazy hair. She was a young girl, and she was like, "My hair was so crazy, and I felt awful about myself." And then I met my best friend, who told me like the thing that really attracted me to you and wanted me to make me be friends with you was your beautiful hair. Mm. And I started seeing the word crazy as a different meaning. Right. And then there's like a toolkit that's like, okay, well now talk about that word crazy with a group of people, and yeah. here's how. How it can you can engage in conversations around it. So, have you ever seen the Dove campaign where they invite the women into like a room with a forensic sketch artist? I love it. Uh, yeah. Real beauty. And <laughs> well, speaking of real beauty, I will say one more thing. I'm crushing on uh, another one of my friends, Seth Matlins, is uh, a father who's working on stopping Photoshop, like photoshopping everywhere. He doesn't want his children to have to grow up in a world where um, they don't know what beauty really looks like because they're right. constantly looking at this Photoshop beauty. And he has a massive campaign. ABC, I think, just did a piece on him uh, around talking to Dove about signing this real beauty campaign um, where it's this uh, no photoshopping. So, you know, while they're talking, talking about real beauty for years, sign this campaign and really like put your money where your mouth is right. and be like, okay, we won't Photoshop. Uh, and that's something that just randomly you brought up again. There you go. Serendipity. So well researched. Awesome. It's pretty awesome. Spiritually. Yes. Uh, finish this phrase for me. 
Innovation to me is? Uh, everything. That's a good one. Yeah. No. It's, it's, it's like a fortune cookie. <laughs> it, it, innovation is like a fortune cookie. All right. That, that will be the quote. That will be the title of this episode. Perfect. <laughs> well, one, my favorite was actually this woman named Carla Ballard. She said. One, uh, of, my, one of my very oh, close friends. You know Carla. Yeah. So she was like, I said, innovation to me is she goes, pancakes. And I was like, oh boy. And it was like our like maybe my second show. And I was like, maybe this thing is We've had idea. some great we've had some great gluten free pancakes at uh Cafe Gratitude together, yes. me and Carla. There you go. Yeah. And she well, she but then she I was like, go on. Uh and she was like, they're very plain and you can make them your own. Like you mm. can put strawberries, syrup, or like everybody likes their pancakes different. And That's, she's the best. And I was like, eh, thank you. You say <laughs> you saved our show. But it was it was like it's amazing how Differently, and I think what you guys do a great job at is gathering perspectives, mm-hmm. right? Everyone's experiencing the the angle or the history that they come from, or the the way they see the future, and they're all looking at the same thing. It's you know, and then you start to combine those best case scenarios from all these different mm-hmm. perspectives and backgrounds and interests and needs, um, and create something awesome. So yeah. I, I commend you for that. Thank you so much. Um, I, how can people find out more about what you're doing? Uh, you, where can they find you? Yeah. Uh, what's your cell phone number? Sure. Yeah, I'll give you my cell phone. My what's cell security. L, L, what, sure. There? Okay. <laughs> um, my the website is Catalyst Creative. So no e at the end of creative. Why? Uh, I usually usually say it's like, well, Zappos was supposed to be one P, but they didn't like it. (laughs) And and Google was supposed to be Google, but no, we just, there was no, there was no E at the website when I started looking into it. And I just was like, let's just create it. Call the cows creative. It's a creative way of spelling it. That's what I said. Um, and then my Twitter is AJ Slavin, S-L-A-V-I-N. Uh, so no butchering. Um, and yeah, that's, that's probably enough information to find, find out what we're doing. All right. Well, thank you, uh, everyone. This has been another awesome episode of Innovation Crush. And uh, thank you. We'll talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to YouTube.com slash WaitForItComedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.